Hello, and thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. As you know, we put in a ton of time and effort to make each of our shows as valuable as we can. If you find the information useful, please share this podcast with a friend by emailing it to them or sharing this on the social media site of your choice. Are you or someone you care about a public employee? What's the future for health insurance and retirement benefits? With many states losing ground and an ever-widening gap of unfunded liabilities, States are being forced into taking drastic action. How is this going to impact your future retirement, and will you be able to count on the benefits that have been promised to you? Joining us today is David Drain, a senior researcher at the Pew Center on the States. He serves as a principal investigator and methodologist on Pew's research agenda on state fiscal health, economic competitiveness, and other state policy issues, particularly in the area of state budgets and fiscal health. He also is a lead researcher on a number of groundbreaking studies looking at state-run public employee retirement systems. Pew's work in this area has been cited widely in the national media as well as state and local print and broadcast outlets. Their research showed that in 2000, more than half of the state's pension programs were 100% funded, but by 2010, only Wisconsin was fully funded, and that 34 were below the 80% threshold, up from 31 in 2009 and just 22 in 2008. Today, David's going to share with us some of the actions that some of the states are taking. So if you're a public worker that's eligible for a pension program, knowing what steps you should take in your planning process in anticipation of potential changes that might be happening to your benefits. Welcome, David. Thank you. Dave, here in Wisconsin, we had the epicenter, and this is where Tony and I are from, as far as a lot of spotlight was cast on public pensions as reforms were made, and I know it's happening in a lot of other states. Is the situation improving now or getting worse in regards to public pensions and retiree health care benefits? Fiscal year 2010 is when we had the latest comprehensive data from all 50 states. In that year, there's a $1.38 trillion gap between what states should have set aside to pay for both their pension and retiree health care promises and what they actually had on hand to pay that bill. This is up from $1.26 trillion the year before, a $120 billion increase. We really had a triple-edged sword that's affecting these pensions because you had the economic downturn and then you have longevity happening at the same time where tax revenues are down because of the economic downturn. Is that true? I think all important reasons why we've gotten into the trouble we've seen, investment losses certainly have hurt state retirement systems. At the same time, taxes are down and demand for services is up, which makes it even more challenging to pay for these bills, which are really competing with other important priorities, such as roads and education. But one thing that states have been doing is not only have they failed to set aside recommended contributions in bad times, but also failed to set aside in good times when things are going strong and failing to make the appropriate decisions to make sure that their benefits are sustainable and affordable. Now, one thing I've seen here in our own local area is back in the 90s when the market was doing really well, one thing that has happened with a lot of the retirement programs that we've seen is even allowing retirees to retire even earlier because they were counting on the good returns and the tax revenues were up, and now they made these promises to let people retire earlier, while at the same time they're living longer and now having a sustain that I don't think anybody saw this. Basically, 10 years, we had two major downturns in the market, and that's really had a big impact on these pensions, has it not? In 2000, overall, state pension plans had a surplus, and over half the states were fully funded. Now, only Wisconsin can say that they're fully funded. Between two recessions, between failing to make contributions in good times and bad, 
And between raising benefits without figuring out how to pay for them, states have really dug themselves a hole that they're going to have a hard time getting out of. Does that also apply? Let's talk about the retiree health care side of things. Is it kind of the same outlook? Well, the way that they got into the retiree health care challenges are quite different because unlike pensions, where there has been over many years an effort to try to fund these benefits and put aside enough money, in some cases falling short, with retiree health care, they've in most cases been ignoring these costs until recently. In 2006, new accounting rules required that states start to estimate and reveal these costs. And we've seen some states react to that and try to set money aside, but 17 states had set aside nothing to pay for this bill. Well, I guess that begs the question, then, why is this something that states should worry about? Well, ultimately, taxpayers are going to have to foot this bill, either now or later. And this, unfortunately, competes with important public priorities for education, public safety, and roads. And I think a really great example of the impact of failing to be responsible is New York and New Jersey. In 2000, both these states had fully funded pension systems. But in the intervening years, while New York consistently made the recommended contribution to their pension plans, New Jersey consistently failed to do so. Now New Jersey's annual bill is $2 billion more than New York's, even though New York has a bigger pension system, because New Jersey taxpayers now need to pay for the previous unfunded liabilities that they've earned. So are other states learning from the examples of what happened on the East Coast versus what's happening here in Wisconsin? Do you think they're paying close attention? Many states have taken action to try to do something. 43 states from 2009 to 2011 passed some sort of reform to either ask employees to contribute more, reduce the benefits that they offer, or in some cases, both. And some states have been looking at this and you know, look to find new models of how to offer pension benefits that may be more sustainable and less risky. For example, Rhode Island passed major reforms that first cut benefits to reduce their unfunded liability and close that gap. But then second, put new employees and current employees in a hybrid pension system that has a smaller traditional defined benefit and an individual retirement account to help share risk and offer a more portable benefit. Other states that have made changes like this include Virginia, Louisiana, Kansas, and Georgia, where they've tried to look to their pension benefits and try to find a solution that really works for their state. That's something that we've seen in the private sector. I know a lot of companies have done away with their defined benefit, which is the pension plans, and have switched to more of a 401k option. So do you see that as something that more and more states are going to adopt, and maybe even we see municipalities that are offering these pension programs? Do you see that as a solution to the problem? It's certainly one way of offering a retirement benefit, and I think two things that are important about that kind of approach are how different pension systems share risk and the kind of incentives it offers workers for recruitment and retention. So individual retirement accounts, defined contribution accounts is one approach. Reforming the defined benefit system is another. And then we've seen states looking for options in the middle, offering a combination of the two, offering an approach where you have an individual retirement account that has many of the protections of a traditional defined benefit, but finding ways to both close their existing unfunded liabilities, which is important, and then finding ways to offer a benefit in the future that will meet the state's needs. Now, you talked about a lot of these states where they're not funding the way they should. Do you see where there's a possibility where they just don't have the money to pay their obligations? And if that happens, what is the solution? Ultimately, states are going to need to find a way to close their funding gaps. One option is putting money into the system and sustainably and responsibly funding it over time. And some states are looking at this and finding that it's really not feasible and are looking ways to reduce their existing liabilities. 
one approach we've seen a number of states take is either getting rid of or reducing cost of living adjustments for current employees and retirees. Colorado, Minnesota, South Dakota, New Jersey, among others, have taken this approach. And this is something that actually has been litigated when it's been done. So some of these states have succeeded in their lawsuits. Colorado, Minnesota, and South Dakota have upheld the cuts. In other cases, these lawsuits are continuing. But it's one of the few options states have to immediately reduce their liabilities. Maybe we can do a touch of a reality check and just clarify what really caused the shortfall in our states being irresponsible. I think there's three big components to that, at least on the pension end, and that's investment losses from two recessions. It's failing to make contributions in good times and bad, and it's raising benefits without figuring out whether that's affordable or figuring out how to pay for them. And then on the retiree healthcare side, it's simply decades of offering these benefits without thinking about how can I pay for them sustainably. And how big of an impact has longevity had on these pensions? I got to believe that's one of the defining factors. States make a number of assumptions when they're trying to figure out how much they need to set aside to pay for their retirement promises. And the two assumptions that people have identified as potential issues are first the rate of return assumption. While over time, states have been getting over 8% in the recent decade, states really fell a lot short of that. And then second, longevity. If you're offering a benefit that extends for retiree's life and his or her spouse's life, then having a good estimate of how long people will live is crucial. And in both cases, states really need to, and for all their other assumptions, need to continuously review their assumptions and make sure that they're reasonable. Now, you always talk about the states will have to just come up with money to fund this. What if there just isn't money to come up with the shortfalls? When you talked about New Jersey compared to New York, are some of these states actually digging themselves in such a hole that they'll never be able to recover? I mean, I read about our neighbors to the south in Illinois. You probably have a number on this. I've heard where they're funded less than 50% of where they should be. What does your research show, and do you get to that point in no return? We found that in 2010, there were four states that were less than 55% funded, Connecticut, Illinois, Kentucky, and Rhode Island, which were the four worst. As I said, Rhode Island in 2011 passed some major reforms, so some of these states have done things since then. But these are states that really are going to face severe challenges. At the same time, they are all at least 45% funded, and we've instead seen that some of the worst cases are really looking at municipalities, the places that really have done the worst over time and really failed to set aside money or behave responsibly. And in some of those cases, we have been seeing bankruptcies. Central Falls, Rhode Island, and Pritchard, Alabama are both cases where, due to, among other things, pension costs and unfunded pension liabilities, these cities felt that they needed to declare bankruptcy. Well, this is a great conversation, David. Let's take a short break. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit about the perspective of a person who's been a public employee for years and the impact on them of some of these potential changes versus somebody who's maybe just beginning their career. Obviously, they have some different considerations to make as far as planning for their long-term retirement. So please stay tuned. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer securities and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, PO Box 64284, 
Shore, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. I'm Leslie Bibb. Everything changed the day my mother received the awful call that there had been an accident and my father hadn't survived. Suddenly, she was faced with having to raise four girls on her own. But my mom's burden was lessened by my dad's thoughtfulness. His life insurance kept her family together and enabled us to carry on. My father loved us enough to expect the unexpected. Learn more at lifehappens.org, a public service message from the Nonprofit Life Foundation. Welcome back as we continue our conversation today with David Durain, who's a senior researcher at Pew Center on the States. And we've been talking about this report that you had published in April of 2011 called The Widening Gap, which covers the latest data available from the 50 states on pension, health care, and other benefits promised to current and future retirees. So we've been talking about some major action that each state, of course, some states are trying different things, but obviously change is going to happen. So what's the impact on somebody who's been a 20 or 30 year veteran in the public sector? For example, are they protected of what they've earned or what's the impact on that new person in the public sector? What do they have to think about when they're planning for their long-term retirement future? Well, most benefits that have already been earned are protected. And many states that are looking to change benefits are looking to new employees to find savings. But there's a couple ways that current employees or even in some cases retirees can be affected. One of the obvious ways is that in many states they've increased employee contributions and they've asked employees to contribute more for their retirement benefits both pensions and retiree health care, and that impacts then the take-home pay that employees get. Second, a number of states in looking at their obligations have decided that they really need to immediately reduce their unfunded liabilities. And so we've seen 10 states, Arizona, Colorado, Florida, Maine, Minnesota, New Jersey, Oklahoma, Rhode Island, South Dakota, and Washington that have either reduced or eliminated their annual cost of living adjustments, both for current employees and for current retirees. This is something that's been legally challenged, but a number of judges have upheld these cuts. And so we've seen a retiree would keep his or her benefits that are already being given. They might get a lesser adjustment each year to reflect cost of living changes or might not get any adjustments. When you look at those pension benefit statements that people got to be careful of, because a lot of these states are reducing their unfunded liabilities by changing the benefit formulas. So if that's happening and you read your statement and it says basically at age 65, here's the number I can count on. Well, that's if you work to age 65 and there's no changes. So if you're a public sector employee and you're doing some pension planning, don't make the mistake of relying completely on the numbers on those projected statements. Another thing to consider, too, that a lot of people don't realize till you get to the point of retirement is if you're married and you have a spouse that you want to have continuation of benefits, those numbers are typically going to be a lot less because the numbers are showing you are for life only. I don't know if any of your research, you came across anything that shows what's happening there, but with uh, husband and wife, it can be a substantial difference in what you're taking home each month if you provide benefits for a survivor. We don't cover how survivor benefits or really aspects of benefit design like that. We instead focus on both the funding challenges and then the ways states are trying to meet those challenges. In some cases, as said, a benefit that's been earned will be kept, but 
states are looking to change the rules going forward for how new benefits might get earned. An example is Rhode Island, which put both new employees and current employees in a hybrid pension plan that had a smaller traditional defined benefit and an individual retirement account as well. So everything a current employee has earned up to the date that they switched, he or she would keep, but new benefits would be earned under new rules. And that's obviously something that you need to take into consideration. Now, we've talked a lot about pensions. Let's talk about health care again, because you mentioned the $1.38 trillion gap. How does that break down between pensions and retiree health care? The shortfall for pension promises was $757 billion, and states were also short an additional $627 billion for retiree health care benefits. Boy, those aren't small numbers, are they? Sadly, they're not. And this is a problem that's been decades in the making and will take a long time for states to get out of. So we talked about changes that might have to come in the form of pensions. Do you have any examples of states that are doing things regarding the health care side of things? A number of states have asked employees to contribute more to pay for the retired health care costs. And in some cases, states are also increasing eligibility requirements. So Kentucky is one, New Jersey is another, where they've asked employees to contribute more and are being stricter about who can qualify for retiree health care benefits. One thing from an advisor perspective, we've seen people go through this in the private sector as more and more companies got rid of defined benefit programs. I know I've talked to clients that are in the public arena, and there's been talk floated around about whether or not our state will go to a defined contribution system, and there's a lot of misconceptions about that. There's pluses and minuses, and states are doing this simply because they don't want to have to guarantee, really with a pension, you're guaranteeing a rate of return, and you're guaranteeing that it's going to last as long as the client does, so you have unknowns there that can really impact those formulas. Whereas a defined contribution, it can be the same amount of money going in, but it's a set aside of money and you don't have this unfunded liability or unknown liability. It's defined right away when the contribution goes in. So you might still have a pool of money. You're in control of your own money, but the assumption of risk is being transferred to the employees where they're taking the investment risk, but they have the options and the choices they can make, but they're also taking on the longevity risk because whatever they have is a pool of money, that's what they have. States are definitely looking to ways to better manage their risk, some cases within a traditional defined benefit. For example, in Wisconsin's case, they offer adjustments for cost of living to retirees that their explicit can be taken back when times are bad. So retirees in Wisconsin are actually the only case where we've seen retirees actually get a smaller pension check year over year because that's the way that the state has chosen to share risk with employees and retirees. In other cases, an employee contribution rate shift based on the health of the pension plan. And then finally, states are looking for new models that may share risk in different ways, whether it's going all the way to a defined contribution plan or whether it's going for a hybrid approach like a cash balance where there's an individual retirement account, but that has a lot of traditional protections from a defined benefit or simply a hybrid model where there's both a smaller traditional defined benefit pension and an individual retirement account. Now, with the recent Supreme Court ruling, we're hearing a lot about Obamacare and the state mandates and things like that. In your research, have you determined at all whether or not this is going to have a positive or negative impact on the problem that's facing the states when we're looking at these pension and health care benefits? Well, anything that affects health care inflation is going to have an impact. We haven't looked into whether the Affordable Care Act will have a role in shifting that to the extent that health care inflation continues at its current rate. These benefits are going to get more and more expensive for states that don't fund them in a sustainable way. On the flip side, if we are able to better manage healthcare inflation, that will be really great for, among other things, the fiscal health of the states. 
I really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us. And I think the moral of the story here is if you're a public sector employee, I think now with what we're facing with potential less benefits down the road, it's more important than ever to make sure that you're planning your future and making sure you have enough money in retirement, whether it means higher deductibles with your health insurance that you might have to prepare for or higher premiums, as well as not having the same amount of income that you might get from these different income sources of pension and Social Security, I think it's really important and prudent for people to really start thinking about putting some money away to help supplement these potential cutbacks that might be coming down the road. You said one thing earlier that really wakes me up when you hear about municipalities that are actually declaring bankruptcy. Are states able to do that same thing? General legal opinion is that states can't, and states certainly are not in as bad a shape as to be even remotely close to requiring that. I think what we're going to see instead is states really finding ways to allocate the sacrifice or share the sacrifice between, some cases, raising taxes, some cases, cutting services, and in some cases, reducing the benefits offered to either new employees or, in some cases, current employees and retirees. But states are going to need to figure this out. Thankfully, this is a solvable problem that states can take meaningful steps to overcome. And if we just have more of a robust recovery, I think things would be a lot better for a lot of these states, right? Well, states can't simply invest their way out of this. A robust recovery is going to help both in terms of better investment gains and then more tax revenue to help pay for these costs. Well, David, we really appreciate you joining us and sharing with our listeners the research that you've come up with. I know a lot of states, and us being in Wisconsin, I mean, it was in the news every day for about the last two years as our state has struggled with the issue of what reforms should we be making and what's going to be made. And I know that's happening in other states as well. I think it's something that everybody needs to take a look at. And for those that are benefactors of these public benefits, it's really important that you're in touch and pay attention to this because your financial future is going to depend on what changes are happening and making sure you're proactive. Because like you said, with these states, when they saw a shortfall, if they took care of it early, it was an easy problem to solve. But the ones that kicked the can down the road are finding themselves behind the eight ball, so to speak. And I think the same can be said for individuals. If their states are changing and reducing their benefits, if they don't make adjustments to their own personal planning, it's going to be a bigger problem down the road for them where small steps now can make a big difference and keep them on their road of financial well-being. So thanks again, David. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week. And tune in again next week as we explore another phase of the real wealth process. And remember, if anything you heard in today's show you'd like to get more information about, contact your Real Wealth Advisor. Also, if you feel that any of this information will be helpful to a friend or family member, just click the Forward to a Friend button. This copyrighted program and its contents is given with the understanding that neither the hosts, guests, nor station render legal, medical, accounting, tax, or other professional advice. The information and opinions expressed here are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendation for any individual situation or security. For specific assistance, you should seek the services of a competent professional. To learn about a specific investment option, ask your Real Wealth Advisor for a prospectus. Please read the prospectus carefully about the fees, expenses, and risks before investing. Real Wealth Advisors offer security and investment advisory services through Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC, and registered investment advisor, PO Box 64284, St. Paul, Minnesota, 55164. Real Wealth Advisors and Woodbury Financial Services Incorporated are not affiliated entities. This is Real Wealth Weekly on the Real Wealth Advisor Network. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's 
podcast from Prism Insurance Agency. We've got additional information and links in our show notes, which you can click on to learn more. If you have any questions about any of the topics covered or would like to learn more, you can go to our website, www.myprisminsurance.com. You can reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn or Twitter. Call us at 951-243-2800 or email me directly at prob at myprisminsurance.com. The email is in the show notes as well. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and have a wonderful week.